Welcome to the Neojatron Podcast. This is a bi-weekly podcast where my friend Jess O'Brien and I discuss internal martial arts, qigong, and meditation. Uh, this week we discuss the famous Xingyi master Shang Shang. Shang's one of the more colorful characters in our lineage. We talk about his early life, his training, tell a couple of uh, pretty interesting fight stories, and uh, kind of just give an overview of his life. Then we discuss the Neigong principle of body alignments, and we talk about how proper body alignments is really important in martial arts and internal practices and how to develop that and things to watch out for as you practice. <clears throat> also, we're really excited on our Patreon this week. We're going to be releasing our interview we did with the incomparable Jamie Dibden a few months ago. Uh, Jamie's been one of our uh, biggest inspirations and just a great guy all around, real funny dude. Um, so if you haven't, uh, had the pleasure of meeting Jamie, you should check it out and, um, I hope you enjoy it. And now on to the episode. Thanks for listening. Take care. And welcome to the Neja Chuan podcast with Isaac and Jess. We've been talking about the martial arts lineage of Grandmaster Leo Hung Jae. And one by one, we've been looking at the different teachers that he's had as a youth and as a young person learning martial arts in China, in Beijing, in the early 20th century. Um, last week, we talked about his, one of his Xing Yi teachers, Jin Yun Ting, and his book. This week, we're going to turn to one of Jin Yun Ting's teachers, Shang Yun Xiang, also known as the Iron Foot Buddha. And he's uh, a, a sort of a titan in the martial arts world, and there's tons of stories, and he's super famous as uh, one of the top Xing Yi people of the 20th century and earlier. Um, so without any ado, let's jump right into it. Um, looking at volume four, SU3 of the Baguazhang Journal, um, we, found, we have here the biography of Shan Yunxiang. He's born in 1864. So that's... Uh, you know, well before the 20th century. So that's sort of like, you know, American Civil War time period. Um, so pretty old school. And it says here that he, you know, started off wanting to learn martial arts, but they were too broke. So he, you know, he, he just had to keep up his interest and keep trying until finally he learned, he got to a teacher who would teach him for free. And he gained some experience there. But then he had a fight with a Xing Chen practitioner and was defeated. So this looks like a turning point in young Shang's life. And after that, he went out to learn Xing Yi. Um, and it's very conservative at the time. It's hard to find a good teacher. But then he heard of the famous teacher, Li Tsun Yi, who was teaching in Tianjin and arranged to meet him. When Shang got there, though, and asked to study Xing Yi, Li looked at him and said, I can't teach you. You're too short. You know how many years it would take you to become good at Xing Yi? So he got rebuffed, but then again, he used persistence to come back and bit by bit work his way into the school. And at age 21, he started practicing Xing Yi with Master Li and began his journey in Xing Yi. And there's a few pictures here in the Bagua Journal of Shang, and he's, he seems to be like a broad, strong man with a big round head and a quite arrogant look on his face and a little sort of a sort of a, a little mustache. I mean, he looks like a sort of a tough, Tough character. What do you think, Oz? Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's uh, his reputation is was you know pretty. Uh, uh, you know, he had a he had a pretty solid reputation of being a 
fairly good fighter and you know he was a i think this whole thing of being told twice that you don't you can't learn something and then still doing it well obviously he was he was motivated you know and i think that uh really that shows you know just dedication and that's mostly what it takes to get good at this stuff so no doubt yeah he's an imposing figure for sure when you see the picture here um it says that so his teacher went on to open a bodyguard company in Tianjin, and Shang moved to Tianjin to work in the bodyguard company. One story reports that Shang practiced barefoot every day, and after a long period of time, the brick practice area was worn down, and Shang's feet were as hard as iron. He thus earned the nickname Iron Foot Buddha. <laughs> so he's wearing down the tiles in the courtyard by just band. pounding back and forth. Um, so now we get into a couple other cool stories. Uh, it said that he had a, he had to travel a long distance from his home to practice with Master Lee, so up to 20 miles a day. The story states that Shang traveled the round trip every day performing Xingyi's Bung Chuan smashing fist the entire way. So he, uh, he would just go back and forth just doing Bung Chuan over and over, which is the straight punch, straight body punch that Xingyi is quite famous for. And that it's, just, it's one of your favorite techniques as well, isn't it, Isaac? Yeah, I mean, that... that he... You know, I don't. I'll, we'll save the the stuff about the particulars of his style for next time. But um, his that method of the half step bung chun, I mean, just really fits if you're a bigger person because mm. you you really can drive you know drive it through with that second one and um, put your weight behind it and really yeah, just punch a hole in something just, with the yeah, bung chun. It's just a really where like generally like if you're smaller you're going to be doing something that's a little more about being able to move your feet quickly so you don't have to stay in one place very long and maybe um, flicking with fire fist uh is f from below yeah, or, or using the um like the 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 full step bung trend rather than the half step bung trend that flying step of exactly, J, yeah. sometimes called a flying step yeah um yeah but i mean that's a uh that seems to be a recurring thing in Xingyi about, you know, people doing Bung Chen for long periods of time. His te his second teacher after Li Kun Yi was Guoyan Shen, and he's famous for, you know, doing Bung Chen with the, uh, the ball and chain on his ankle or whatever, right? Right. So, it's, so, it's, uh, so I mean, Bung Chen, yeah. That was the technique of, you know, of choice, I think, for a lot of Xingyi guys. So the next story is uh, Shang's working as a bodyguard for a wealthy family. And uh, so he, you know, he's hanging out with this upper crust a little bit. But there's a local bandit who's robbing the wealthy people of the county. And he had the lightness skill, Jingong, where you can jump up in the air and, and, and cover great distances mm. up on the rooftop. So he was escaping from everyone. Not only that, he was armed with a revolver and thus everyone was afraid to tangle with him. Mm. But Sean couldn't re resist the challenge and stayed at the residence in hopes of meeting up with him. One night, the robber dropped in. When Shang stepped up to stop him, the robber said, I've been hearing about you for quite some time. If you can defeat me today, then I promise not to ever come back and disturb this residence. Then, uh, so it says they had a weapon, um, weapons match, and the uh, robber Kang was no match for Shang and fled for his life in fear and never to rob a home again. Oh, yeah. There you go. That's a great story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's how it's done. It's funny how, like, the one guy, you know, just the... The gun, how much that it was an influence back then, you know. Mm, yeah. Just, right. 
could totally like intimidate an entire village right. <laughs> with a revolver. Well, it's like... So the next one is uh, so he gets challenged by a guy with the who has the iron filing palms, the miraculous sand hand with the continuous attack style of boxing, and uh, who, who says he can't be beat. And he tries to slap Shang on the top of the head, but Shang used the movement from Shingy's Taishing, the alligator form and attacked mm-hmm. Fung's underbelly. Fung fell over a big iron pot and sat in the yard, admitting defeat. That, Boom. That, the 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 Shing, the, the alligator, was supposedly his favorite, like, technique or whatever, like that mm. kind of, that was his, like, go And that's a form where you use a lot of your body, like your waist and your torso turning. And it right. says here, it you know, he's much shorter, but he looks like he has a big body, real big body. Yeah, it uses that sort of shaking, kind of twisting stuff. All right, now comes his encounter with Bagua. Shang and Shang love to visit famous martial artists and test his skill against theirs. In the late 1800s, a group of Cheng Tinghua Bagua students were practicing near the site of the Summer Palace, and Shang went to visit. Cheng Tinghua was not present. Now, as you may recall, Cheng Tinghua's you know, one of the greatest lineage members of the whole Baguazhang school, whose son ended up being uh, Liu Hongzhi's teacher. But uh, Chang Tinghua was not present when he got there. However, a number of his students were. Shang told the group he would like to compare martial arts skills with any of them who were willing. All of them tried Shang, but none were successful. Shang not only defeated them, but he beat them all badly. When Chang Tinghua heard that Shang had beaten all his students, he was angry and expressed his displeasure to his friend Li Yi, Shang's teacher. Chang and Shang had met a year before the incidents, and Chang liked him. However, he did not think that he, that Shang, what Shang did to his students was right. A friendly challenge match was one thing. However, Chang felt that Shang had used unnecessary force when fighting with the students. Uh, that's great. When Chang Tinghua heard that Shang had beaten all his students, he was angry and expressed his displeasure to his friend Li Yi, Shang's teacher. A friendly challenge match was one thing. However, Chang felt that Shang had used unnecessary force when fighting with his students. Now, as we've seen in different books and articles, Xing Yi has sort of a reputation for going over the top and going uh, all the way to the doing extra damage on the way. So this this is consistent with other things we've heard. Well, and it also, you know, it also goes to that thing of like keeping face and all that. Like, mm. you know, it's one thing to not, you know, just like you said, it's one thing to just have a friendly match. But, you know, going around hurting people is kind of knocking them all the way down to the ground. Which, you know, even back then they had a certain level of, like, um, you know, decorum about, you know, when and where and how to fight. Right. Yeah, there's always, you know, manners and rules and etiquette about these things. And it sounds like Shang tore it up. Now, in the last couple years, we've been talking a lot about the students of Cheng Tinghua. And especially since that's the group that Grandmaster Liu Hongzhi learned from. Right. And so, you know, when we hear about this match, I'm wondering, did he fight some of other Liu Hongzhi's teachers, such as, you know, the son of Cheng Tinghua, Cheng Yulong, or perhaps Leo, uh, mean, Leo's you know, teacher, Leo Zhen Lin, perhaps? I've not heard of, you know, I mean, people don't usually talk about the fights they lost there. Right. Much, so. <laughs> so who knows? And who knows how the fight really went, obviously. This is just one side of the story. This is yeah, a uh, fight story from 150 years ago. <laughs> but, if, but you know, the, the the piece about Cheng being upset is probably accurate. That, that sounds accurate. That, 
So we fast forward to the next new year. Shang comes to pay his respects to his teacher, Li, and Cheng Tinghua happened to be visiting at the same time. After Shang knelt and paid respect to his own teacher, he began to kneel in order to pay respects to his uncle, Cheng Tinghua. As Shang began to kneel, Cheng grabbed his arms and would not let him kneel all the way down. He tried to stand back up, but Cheng would not let him stand either. Cheng held him in the middle, not allowing him to go up or down. He wanted to taste his skill and teach him a lesson. Wow. Uh-oh. As a rule, it was not proper for younger generation to demonstrate their skill on their elders. However, on this occasion, Shang did not obey the custom. <laughs> wow. He became angry when Cheng would not let him move, so he quickly pushed his arms and tried to throw him. Cheng was not expecting this, and so he was knocked off balance. Cheng rushed towards Cheng, ready to fight. Cheng began to rush towards Shang. But suddenly... Shang came to his senses. He knew that <laughs> Chang's skill was much higher than his, and if he fought, he, he might be beaten, angry, beaten badly because Chang was so angry. Shang threw open the door, turned, and ran into the courtyard. Chang ran after him and caught him in the garden. Just as they were about to get into it, Li Sun-Yi walked in oh through boy. the door and said, What are you guys doing? <laughs> they stopped great. fighting and started laughing. Chang Tinghua so told Shang, Your skill is not bad. If you were not so short, you would have been able to throw me on the ground back there. Oh, some say that Shang actually studied some Bagua with Cheng Tinghua after this incident. That's great. <laughs> tried to take out Master Cheng. He tried to take out his uncle. Didn't work. <laughs> but then the big brawl got stopped when uh, Master Lee opened the door and caught them in the act of getting into a fight. So, But yeah, it sounds like this is another one of those connections between Xing Yi and Bagua where regardless of what actually went down and who won what, it sounds like they had multiple encounters and there was something their bodyguard companies worked together. Their teachers worked together. Their associations seem to, you know, all be associated on one level or another for most of the different groups. After studying with Li Tsun Yi, the single saber Li, Shang decided to go and train with another great master, Guo Yanshen. Shang demonstrated his Xing Yi for Guo Yanshen. And when he was finished, Guo laughed and said, you're good, but you still do not have the true key to Xing Yi. Shang stayed with Guo for four months, and Guo taught him his famous Banbu Bangchuan, half-stepping, smashing fist, there it and is. the skill of Dantian belly beating. Hmm. Additionally, Shang traveled and studied with other famous Xingyi practitioners in Hebei and Sanxi and modified his Xingyi based on what he learned. Therefore, the Xingyi taught by Shang and his descendants is a bit different from what was taught by Li Tsunyi's other students. This is true. Interesting. There, is a, there are some very interesting sort of uh, unique characteristics to his Xing Yi, which is, uh, yeah. I mean, when we look at the Xing Yi of Liu Hongjie, the Grandmaster Liu Hongjie's, you know, Xing Yi that we've been practicing, and compare that to some of the other schools that descend from Li Tsun Yi, would you say there there are a few differences there that may potentially come from Master Shang's teachings? Yeah, and I've there you know, there are videos of Shang's daughter and. Uh, his son-in-law floating around and their forms are pretty much the same as the way Leo did them. And I, I think that, you know, whether it was directly from Shang or through, through Jun Yun Ding, I mean, definitely there's an influence. Right. That's the line from Shang through Jin Yun Ding to Leo Hongjie. Not that Leo didn't learn from other guys as well, but his, the forms he adopted may very well have been these. Well, at least the ones that, yeah, that he taught Bruce and so right. that came down my way. So Obviously, everyone you train with is going to affect your, your, your own personal expression of the style. But I think Master Shang's in there somewhere. 
Yeah, it just showed that you know he didn't he didn't do it purely the way his first teacher showed it to him. He adapted some of the stuff he learned along the way, which really is what most people do, I think. Anyway, it's just you know this I was more open about it. All right, one more story. The famous master of Yichun is Wang Shangzai, who we've talked about in season one, who was the master of standing meditation. He opened a school in Beijing in 1911 and invited Shang Shang to visit the school and give some instruction. However, one student at the school with the last name Ma was very arrogant because he had tremendous kicking still and powerful legs. When he saw how short Shang was, he boasted he could easily defeat him with one kick. When Shang Shang began to teach the class, he asked the students to line up, and Ma stepped out. Ma said, I was told that your belly's very powerful, and a kick would not hurt it. Can we have a contest? Shang knew that Ma had a powerful kick, but he had no choice. He accepted the challenge. Shang stood in the Xingyi San Ti posture and told Ma to kick him in the belly. Ma stepped back several yards and then ran at Shang, leaping in the air and kicked with both feet. Shang did not budge. We couldn't wow. even push him. But everybody, yeah. I love how everybody's giving this guy shit for being too short. Right. Just, Everyone's you know, ripping like, him. No wonder he's lashing out. It's like. So the second time, the guy said he actually wasn't trying. I'm going to do it again. So he ran. He took a bunch of steps back and he ran forward and kicked again. This time, just as Ma kicked, Shang pushed his belly out and threw Ma to the ground with the force of his belly, breaking his ankle in the process. Oh, Shang was quite famous for his belly strength and was known to have broken many a wrist when people wanted to try and punch him. So that's some belly power. So he's, he's a yeah. short guy, but he's got a huge belly and uh, massive strength. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think that uh, Dandian belly beating, which I think is is sort of a more martial version of like a first swing type of thing, right? Where you're just pounding your belly and getting that sort of iron shirt thing. Mm. Clearly, the swings that... really do build up that iron shirt ability to take a hit. Yes. And they also build just that general sense of being able to like fill your belly up without using any sort of you know, tension. Um, but clearly this dude had something going on big time because, you know, you don't take a double kick to the belly and not <laughs> flying double kick yeah. <laughs> twice. <laughs> well, uh, definitely a very cool Shingy master. Yeah. And that Ma guy, he kind of goes on to do his own. He's sort of a famous guy. And mm, he becomes a chingy guy as well, it sounds like, huh? Yeah, but he another he's another one of these real firebrands, you know, just these guys just like it's it's I mean, I like it. It is just, you know, the the sort of shingy guys being a little bit more mischievous and more like willing to challenge and Yeah. They're rough and tumble, not, you know. Yeah, they're not totally like playing the the, the game hundred percent. They're willing to push the boundaries a little bit. Totally. And face is less important. They want to win. They want to, they want it to work. And yeah, that's this tradition. This tradition is supposed to mean effectiveness, you know, no matter how much inner training or esoteric stuff you want to talk about, you know, when push comes to shove, you want it to work. Right. I mean, that's the, I think the, the, it, especially in the sort of modern age, you know, everybody has to claim that they're, you know, a, a fighting system. Right. And, Shingy's had that for a hundred years, you know, they, they've been they were uptight about that a long time. Yeah, exactly. They had a chip <laughs> on their shoulder about, <laughs> right. be, you know, being no bullshit, you know, we're the right. real deal martial arts. Cause right. even back then, you know, that right. was the, uh, the, the beginnings of, 
uh, actually think it was Shang who, you know, turns down the position at some school because he didn't, he didn't like the the use of martial arts for health you know that he, he's he against martial, martial arts for health <laughs> martial arts is for martial arts not for health yeah i mean yeah, there's so. been people complaining that everyone else is not you know is fake or is you know not really training for fight i mean that that complaint's been happening for a thousand years now it's just because you know mma is saying sure. it now it, everyone's yeah. been saying it all along this is not a new phenomenon there's two arguments right either you have the uh, original thing in an unbroken line, or you've somehow created the newest and greatest thing that you know no one has in the in two thousand years has never thought of. You know, and, right. and it's it's one of those extremes usually that you know, and uh, you know that's just martial arts. You know, martial artists are a yeah, arrogant bunch. They know? sure are. Shang and Xiang was very practically minded about his martial arts. He trained hard to learn how to apply his martial arts in a fighting situation and thought that any other sort of pra practice was nonsense. Shang was strongly opposed to those who talked about the mysterious powers of the internal arts, and he despised those that practiced martial arts for performance. He felt that the only standard for measuring whether or not someone was practicing correctly was actual combat. Shang once had a student who gave a performance of his Xing Yi forms to a crowd of spectators. Shang heard of the incidents and became angry. He told the student, if you want to perform, perform go join the opera. See, I like the, the piece in that I like is the, the, the mysterious powers of internal martial arts, right? That, you know, these people that claim that, you know, somehow they can do, you can fight with chi and stuff like that. You know, he, even back then, this guy's like, that's bullshit. You know, you have to be able, you, chi can help you get, stronger but it doesn't help you fight better i mean at least there's always one way to find out you know if, if it works it works you know well, anybody his, can say anything and, right, as long as it works hey. he's clearly saying you know you can talk to, whatever you say you do you know that's I one see thing you do. but it what really matters is when you actually you know use it and clearly he was of the mind that just doing the forms for uh external enjoyment wasn't really the the real deal. Shang and Shang died in 1937 at the age of 73. But yeah, what a guy. He bridges that whole territory. And I think it's safe to say from reading A Power of Internal Martial Arts, you know, Grandmaster Liu Hongzhi must have trained or met with or was a part of Shang's. You know, Shang had a public school and he taught a lot of people. So it's, it's conceivable that Liu was one of those guys who came through. And I think you look at, you know, Jin Yun Ting is, you know, Liu Hongjie's teacher of Xing Yi, one of his Xing Yi teachers. It's pretty clear that he, the two of them probably would have gone to visit Master Shang when he was in town or on New Year's or, you know, times like that at the very least. Jin Yun Ting's had, you know, his Xing Yi had an influence from Sun Lu Dong, where Shang Yung Shang's had an influence from... Li Tzu Yi. Uh, from, from, well, from Guo Yun Shen. Okay. Right? So outside of the lead Sun Yi stuff. Oh, they both have lead Sun Yi, right. They yeah. both have lead Sun Yi, but then that there's also this other, you know, and so I think that that might account for the differences in terms of the, the flavor. The similarities too, right? Yeah. They, they right. do have similarities from one half, but then the other half. So we're going to continue digging deeper into the Nei Gung principles that underlie the internal martial arts and Qigong training that we do. And uh, the next one on the list is alignments all the different ways you can hold yourself all the all the different methods of posture and connection of 
of the physical body. And again, it strikes me how all these Nagong components are about working with your inner body, but you start on sort of the outside, the, with the breath, um, with the feeling of the surface energy, and now with the alignments of the body, you're working with the inner body, but you're starting from the outside and working your way in. And then at higher levels, you're working with, you know, the spine and, and the central channel and stuff like that. But at first you're working with the, the most raw materials, this, the outer body of alignments. And to me, I first encountered this in Tai Chi when I had done martial arts as a kid. Once I learned Tai Chi and you had to go slow and my teacher showed me like you put your knees over, you know, don't let them go past your toe, like basic stuff like that. No one had ever mentioned any of that to me. Um, moving slow so you can feel how things feel as you move through space instead of just rushing. Because as a kid, you would just, I'm doing Aikido, I'd go as fast as I could. And then later when I did Tai Chi, I was like, wow, and now I can put myself in a way better position. I'm getting to know the, the directions that work better than others and where I'm stable, where I'm not, where injuries are, where they're not. Like that type of training, I think, is one of the things that stands out the most of all the Chinese martial arts. Maybe the most precious part is that that training of alignments yeah i think it's the the sort of golden nugget and all of this stuff is that um proper body alignment is something that you know if you can develop it at and in your youth that as you get older can not only help you from getting injured but it allows you to stay healthy and strong and all that sort of stuff. Um, and the conditional stuff about if you're going to do other in quote unquote internal practices, right? None of them work if your body's not aligned. I mean, if your body's not mostly, you know, little things can be out of alignment and, you know, things can go out of alignment and come back in. But, um, if you don't have most of it trying to do something like pulsing your joints or some sort of internal compression and expansion to, to hit somebody, you know, if you hit somebody hard and your arms not aligned, your arm just going to collapse. So it doesn't, you know, it's, it's like the, the, but same thing. If you just step wrong and your knees not aligned, you put pressure on the wrong part of your knee and it, you know, it bugs out. And exactly. So, um, most of the time these alignments are taught through standing practices. That's the easiest place to, to learn them. So it's just, you know, feeling how essentially gravity moves through your body. And we talked a lot about this in the first season, but you know, it's worth repeating that without proper alignment, um, you're constantly struggling to, you know, hold yourself up essentially. And that creates this kind of tension inside of your body, which makes it hard to do things like relax your back and feel your legs. So the better your alignments, the less energy you're wasting holding yourself up that you can then turn that energy towards whatever practice you're doing or, or whatever sparring. Yeah. At first it's, it's, you're not using energy to hold yourself up, but with enough practice, the alignments actually begin to kind of generate more energy. So once you have the alignments, you know, strength becomes a completely different concept because it's not the strength of uh, muscles or individual body parts or even the whole body, you know, as a 
solid piece. It's the strength of how everything moves inside. And it's the strength of how stuff moves through you, right? So um, the phrase that Bruce uses that I, that I think sums this up really well is force has no meaning if there's no resistance. That if something, you know, it's it's the, the thing from Tai Chi is to try to punch punch a feather, right? If you throw a feather up in the air and you punch it, you can punch it as hard as you want. You won't hurt it. It'll just flip and flop and, you know, and, and um, the, he used to tell us to push hands with a, with a leaf, right? You put your finger on a leaf and you just kind of feel the leaf go back and forth. But, but this thing, you know, if you, if you hit something that's soft, that has no, it'll just move. There's no resistance. Now that doesn't mean that thing can hurt you. Like the feathers not going to hurt me. So but on defense, you can't beat that. Right. So softness as a, as an, as a offensive move, maybe not so great, (laughs) but, but in terms of how to, you know, let go of stuff. So, Alignment is essentially the, the functional way that you get rid of internal resistance. Put some consciousness into your alignment can go a long way. And that's the, you know, I found that in Tai Chi. And I, it go, it, this takes me back to when we first got together. And I was, you know, I was, I'd learned internal martial arts and I was trying to figure it out. But I, every time I punched somebody, I, it didn't hurt them, you know, and I couldn't figure it out. And so when I got together with you, I'd, you know, you had me demonstrate. So I punched you, but then when I hit, my arm folded at the elbow. It didn't. I didn't have that connected alignment, and so boom, you hit me back. And you're like, "That's how you do it." So then I punched you back, but my arm folded again. And each time, you you showed me how to like, okay, just keep that alignment in place when you punch, and then suddenly it works a lot better. And you motivated me by me by every time it, I didn't do it right, you punched me right. So it, right. I, I quickly and then, started and then once, to uh, once learn. you learned how to do it, then we stopped playing that game. Right. <laughs> Yeah, Uh, no, but that's the tale of alignment. Like there's, it's one of the most powerful esoteric internal practices is being lined up straight. So when the energy comes out, you doesn't, there doesn't, there's none is lost and it's, it's very efficient going into the target and it doesn't buckle. Yeah. And this is one of those things that unfortunately people get caught up in the semantics of it. You know, is it internal? Is it external? Who gives a fuck, right? The body has uh positions where it's more functional than others right and so whether you're doing it for the purpose of purely a quote-unquote external thing like you know swinging a baseball bat or you know just punching somebody as hard as you can being in alignment will help if you're doing an internal practice it's not that the alignment will help. The alignment is the practice, right? I mean, that it, it becomes the focus of everything to keep this sense of balance, the sense of alignment and the sense of flow all, you know, at the same time. Right. Life is constantly throwing you off balance uh, left and right. So you just if you just return to your alignments, it, it's not like you ever make it and stay there. It's just you're always getting thrown off. You're the ball rolling down the hill, and it's like sometimes you know it's rolling smoothly, and it like things are good, and then sometimes you know you get a little flat, and you're bouncing around, and it's not so good, and you know it's just about kind of this like continuous rolling flow that as you move through life, you try to adjust to whatever the conditions are around you, and I think that's what you know from a practical sense alignment just gives you the 
internal stability so that when things are going crazy outside, you know, if you're standing on a, you're surfing, right? Uh, helps to have good leg alignments because the, mm-hmm. as things are moving, you're at least you're stable in your little world, right? Totally. And, and I think that's kind of what um, physical alignments start to do is develop this sense of a contained body that you are a, you know, a solid unit uh, and that within that solid unit, things like Jing, Chi, Sheng can start to develop, um, right? But without being a solid container, you can't develop anything beyond mm. trying to fill the leaks in the container, right? Sure. And to me, what stands out the most is how Tai Chi is just such the the perfect place to work on this where you're moving slow with integrity with intention you're paying attention to your body you just you it gives you the opportunity to take the time to really connect all those and there's no better place you know and that alignment and a tai chi punch you have to you're not punching with a lot of muscular strength you've got to be perfectly aligned and land at just the right moment to knock somebody down if you're the smaller person, you know, as a, as a shingy person, one of my favorite activities with Tai Chi people is just to, you know, is the thing that you mentioned about, you know, just let them hit you because their arm just going to crumple. And, <laughs> and then, you know, and, and so, you know, the, the, the first practice you really learn in shingy is just how to take a half step forward without your arm collapsing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is, you know, if you're doing it without muscular contraction, it's, it's about getting the alignment correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's conceptually not very hard, but it takes a long time to right. put it so in Right, so each of these Nagong principles has a huge box full of different practices and different ways to apply alignments to inner, outer, mental, emotional. I mean, there's just every level you can possibly take it to are all contained within this Nagong principle of alignment. Yeah, I mean, all of these are, all of these principles are just umbrellas for much larger concepts that, you know. If you've got good alignments and they work for you, they may not look the same as everyone else, but if you're aligned, it'll, you'll feel it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would say there are certain things on an individual level, like some people can put their knee in a position that is not actually in alignment, but their muscles and their ligaments are strong Mm. enough that it doesn't hurt. By either their nature or their adaptation of training, somehow it works for them. But it's not recommended for the rest of us. (laughs) Yeah, and it's sort of like, but you can't sort of, I mean, uh... You can't say that any one thing is universal for everybody, right? It's it's like these are guidelines for developing an internal practice and everybody's internal practice is going to be a little bit different because everybody's body's a little bit different. But, you know, there are certain structural things that the human conditions that the human body can function under which allow it to, you know, move better and um, like if you take gravity away, none of this shit matters, right? Like there, you know, alignment doesn't matter if you're floating, right? So it, it's all conditioned upon, you know, we're in this gravitational field and while we're condensed into a particular mass, you know, these are the things that we have to do. Um, and like you said, everybody's got their own version of it. Um, I just think, you, you know, you, you need to do more than just follow somebody when they do this sort of thing, because 
especially if they're not explaining it very well and they're just kind of putting you in a position that you need to be sure that they understand that your body has limitations that their body might not have. I mean, one of the most important things as a teacher is to not try to make little versions of yourself, right? That, that don't try to make everybody look like you because that's not how it works. Everybody's body is different and especially with internal practices. So, um, you know, that's just something to keep in mind that, that when you're, especially if you're learning this stuff by watching videos and things like that, that you might see some stuff that you think, okay, well, that's how I should do it. But your body might not yeah. be structured. Trust your own body. Trust yeah. your own instincts. Trust your intuition. If it feels weird and it hurts, don't do much of it. Yeah. You know? yeah. Or any of it. I mean, you know, it, it's that piece about don't force yourself to do something that's damaging your body just because you think it will get you to a certain place. Um, there's a difference between the pain of growth and the pain of damage, right? And that's the that's one of the most important things I think alignment teaches you is, you know, there's the pain of when you're using your body right, it sometimes is painful because you're... It's sore from... Yeah, yeah. It, it, you're using it in a way you're not used to using it, but... Make you stronger. There's also going too far and damaging your body, which is not good. Making you weaker. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right, bro. All right, man. Nice talking to you. Good talking yeah, to you. Take care. Hey, folks. Isaac here. Uh, just quick uh, reminder, like and subscribe. Check out the Instagram. Uh, check out the Patreon for the interviews. We're also putting up some uh, Santi training stuff up there as well as the Bagua training that's already there and a whole bunch of other stuff. So check it out. All right. Thanks for your support. Thanks for listening and have a great day.